if there is any great hope for the Christian, it is this great fact that Christ is alive. In the ancient church, it was customary on the heels of the resurrection for one Christian on the way to somewhere to meet another Christian and for the response to be something like this, locking eyes onto a fellow brother or sister in Christ, you would say, he is risen. And the response from that brother or sister in Christ would be, he is risen indeed. It's the great hope. So I wonder if we begin this morning, if we might do that. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Amen. It is our great hope. And it is our great stalwart. If you have a copy of the scriptures, I'm going to ask you to turn to the 20th chapter of John's Gospel, Gospel according to St. John, chapter 20. This is one of the great accounts of the Lord Jesus, his victory over death. Each of the four Gospels renders an account of our Lord's resurrection. Each has a different emphasis of a woman. Mary Magdalene, a woman who has been touched by the Lord Jesus in a most profound way. The Gospel according to St. John, chapter 20. Follow along as I read the first 17 verses. This is God's word to us. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciples, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They've taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they've laid him. Verse 3. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going towards the tomb. Both of them were running together. But the other disciple outran Peter, reached the tomb first, and stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there. But he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb, and he saw the linen cloths lying there, and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. And then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet, they did not understand the scripture, that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head, one at the feet. And they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They've taken away my Lord. I don't know where they've laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but She did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've laid him. I'll take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. And Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and to your Father, to my God and to your God. 
grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Pray with me as we anticipate God's preaching over us. Our Father and our great God, we pray the prayer that the psalmist utters, not to us, not to us, but to your name be dominion and glory and power for your steadfast love and for your compassion. Grant, O Father, that you would unstop our ears and open our eyes that we might see Jesus. For this is our prayer for his glory and in his name. Amen. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and she saw that the stone had been rolled away. What was Mary looking for on that very early morning? Was she expecting to find an empty tomb? Or was she going to rejoice over the Lord's resurrection? That's the real question just here. Whom was she seeking? Apparently, she didn't have high hopes for life. She had in her possession all sorts of spices, things like aloe and cinnamon and spikenard. Mary was seeking a dead man. Mary was coming to the tomb anticipating that with these spices she would hold at bay the stench of death. Now three days the Lord has been in the tomb. Consumed by her grief, Mary expects nothing. It's odd, isn't it? Mary comes expecting nothing. Mary's looking for a dead man. When life was everything that Jesus was to her while he lived. Jesus had first met Mary and had freed her from an awful bondage. Seven demons. What a habitation. What an indwelling. What a power. What a bondage. And yet under the beautiful life-giving touch of Jesus, everything changes. Yet despite that great power and despite that great habitation within her, Mary doesn't come looking for the author of life. She comes looking for a body. Can you imagine how much Mary must have loved the Lord Jesus? Can you imagine being set free from such a bondage? No doubt she clung to every word. And despite of all the sufficiencies that the Lord Jesus was to her, in life, she feels none of it in death. She isn't seeking a risen Savior. She shows up at this sepulcher, this tomb, and she's looking in the blackness of dawn for the blackness of death. She's paying homage to a dead man, not to the living son. She has not the words, he is risen in her mind, but rather... He's gone. He's dead. It's interesting, isn't it? That Mary would come expecting nothing, especially in view of all that Jesus had spoken of his resurrection prior to his death. Surely Mary had remembered the faithful part of Jesus' ministry as he ministered to those who loved him and as he ministered to those who hated him. And his words to the Jewish leaders. 
Well, this is a grand and glorious temple, but if you destroy it in three days, I'll raise it up. He was speaking of himself, his body, the life that he had within himself from the Father. But on this morning, Mary isn't remembering. Perhaps she remembered the words that Jesus said to Martha and her sister, also surnamed Mary, when they were at the tomb of Lazarus, their brother. The words were read just moments ago by your elder. In the midst of all of their grief, Jesus, if you would have been here, Martha says, my brother would not have died. And he says to them, both, Mary, Martha, your brother will live again. I know, I know, in the resurrection day. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he dies, yet he shall live. And he who believes in me, while he lives shall never die. Mary had heard those words, and yet she's looking for a dead man that morning. That's who she's seeking. Surely she had remembered the words of Jesus, her Lord, the author of life, when he had fed all those people, 5,000 on the banks of the river. And he said to them, if you eat my body and you drink my blood, you have new life in you, and I will raise you up on the last day. Despite that all that Jesus had spoken, despite that all that Jesus had done, it meant nothing to her in this moment. Mary could not see Jesus as anything but a figurehead. He was someone who came and loved and worked and touched, but it was of no effect now. Mary was searching for a dead man. Mary, whom do you seek? Who is it you're looking for this morning, Mary? That you've come. Let's turn the tables on the scripture as it were. And let me ask you this morning. Christian. Who have you come seeking today? Jesus the figurehead. Jesus the religious symbol. Jesus the moral teacher. Or Jesus the Christ. Life giver. The one who drives out the demonic. With the finger of God. The one who is able by all accounts. To deliver us from sin. Verse 2, so she ran and went to Simon and Peter and the other disciples, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they've laid them. Mary comes to this sepulcher. The stone's been rolled away. It's massive. How could this be? She stoops in and looks and she rushes to awaken Peter and John. Peter, John, wake up. They, they've taken Jesus. I don't know where the body is, but he's not in the tomb. Not where we laid him. Yes, Joseph of Arimathea's tomb. He's not there. Why is she so passionate to have a lifeless body? Why is she a passionate to have something that can give her no solace, no freedom, like she once had? Mary, whom is it you're seeking today? She looking for the empty shell of a man? She chasing a memory? I'm not being hard on Mary. I'm not unsympathetic to her grief. I understand grief. But a memory is not going to save Mary. A memory is not going to help her to deal with the pressures of life. A memory could never have delivered her from the demonic. 
Thankfully, there's something more just here. We have read about Mary approaching the tomb, and then, in seeing the absence of the Lord Jesus, she's gone. But in fact, in this particular gospel, there's something missing. John the Apostle has not included this small, small detail, but vital as it is. Something happened between verse 1 and verse 2. Something that was monumental. Something that happened to Mary after she saw the empty tomb and before she ran to get Peter and John. And that something was an encounter with an angel. Just let me very briefly read to you Matthew's account of these same events, and it includes the special part that John leaves out. Listen. Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came back, came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning. Can you even imagine? And his clothes white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus, who was crucified. He is not here. For he has risen, as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. And then go and quickly tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you into Galilee. And there you will see him. See, I have told you. And so they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy. And they ran to tell the disciples. Well, it's quite an omission. Mary runs from the tomb and she's flooded with emotions. She wasn't thinking that she was going to encounter an angel at daybreak. Gives you a new appreciation if you're working the midnight shift, doesn't it? (laughs) I would imagine that an encounter with the supernatural is frightening. I would be afraid to encounter an angel. She runs with fear. But the Bible also says she's running with great joy. The angel's words are echoing in Mary's head. Mary, Jesus isn't here. He's risen just as he said. Her joy came from hearing that Jesus was alive. Not that he's dead. Not there's something of a remnant there. Not that there's a body. Not what's left of the physical frame. He's alive. And so she's running to the disciples with fear and, yes, great And then, as fast as her joy had come, it melts away. Because by the time she gets to the home of Peter and John, you hear her words. It's not, Peter, John, wake up. Jesus is alive. I've been to the tomb. I've seen it. There's nothing there. Our Lord is risen, just as he said. No, you read her words with me. They have taken our Lord from the tomb I don't know where they've laid him. What happened? Where is that great victory? Where is that confidence? Where is that which has filled her with an ability to face anything? It's gone. It's absolutely gone. What was it that robbed her of this great and glorious joy? What is it that made her focus on that which frightens her to death? Christian, whom do you seek this morning? Is it the resurrected Lord, full of power 
and dominion and glory, able to break the bondage of sin in your life and mine, to deliver us from substance and circumstance and that which threatens to overtake us from our past, even that which genetically would threaten to hold us back? Or are we seeking the God who is enough for anything? The gospel narrative now tells us that Peter and John receive the news and they make a mad dash for the tomb. Can you imagine what they're thinking? The body gone. How can it be we just placed him there three days ago? And who could move a stone like this? The Roman centurions, who would have posed a serious threat for these two, are long gone. You can imagine these poor guys on the job on the midnight ship, both an earthquake and an angel. It's been a bad day for Roman centurions. So they're gone. They fled in fear. John arrives, and waiting for deference to Peter, who's one of the twelve, in he goes, and they look into the gravesite, and here's the interesting short descriptive that you shouldn't miss It says, they saw and believed. How ironic. What did they see? What is there to see? What grants them this joy of belief? It's not Jesus. Had Jesus been there resurrected and had they seen him, surely it would have recorded they saw and believed. But Jesus is nowhere to be found. Not now. The Bible tells us what they saw. Verse 5 and following. And stooping to look in, he, John, saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came in and followed him and went into the tomb. And he saw the linen cloths lying there and the face cloth which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. And the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in. There it is. Here's our marker. And he saw and believed. They saw the linen strips and the headcloth. What was it about them that when they saw it, Peter and John said, yes, our Lord is alive. It's just cloth. It's just a burial shroud. It's just something that attempts to give comfort to the deceased, which of course it can't. It was just something of pragmatic concern. 75 pounds of aloe and myrrh wound between those strips to somehow give a wonderful aroma and somehow keep away the smell of death for maybe a day or so. How could it be? How could it be that linen strips and a headcloth could be so faith-giving? Well, that these cloths were present at all is significant. Think about it. If the Roman government wanted to somehow make a mockery of the Lord Jesus and his disciples and the early church, they could have stolen the body, couldn't they? And then when the disciples proclaimed, "Ah, our God is alive and well, he's risen in the form of the Lord Jesus Christ, then the Romans could have produced the body. Uh He's not risen. You serve a dead Lord. You serve a dead Lord. But surely if they would have taken the body, they wouldn't have taken time to un wind all that cloth to set it neatly off to the side to take the handkerchief from his head and to fold it and to place it there where he sat no even if the disciples themselves riddled by unbelief thought to themselves maybe somehow we'll have to help him let's take the body oh lord if they show up in three days 
and he hasn't kept the prophecy he made of himself, will be the laughingstock. Even if they would have come, surely they would have taken the body and not taken the time to unwrap it. That would have taken time. That would have put them in jeopardy. That would have surely caused them to be found out. So the fact that the clothes are there suggests this has been a resurrection. This is not a cover-up. There's just a calm, planned event. No rush. No fear. They saw and believed. This was the evidence of victory for them. But God was doing something even more powerful than this. It wasn't just what they would take in with their eyes that granted them faith. It's what they took in their hearts. This is what convinced them beyond all measures. He's alive. God was doing something more powerful that morning. The Bible declares that in a moment's time, Peter and John are changed supernaturally. What are you talking about? In their hearts. They arrive at the tomb thinking one way. They stoop and look in on the tomb and they're changed. Their minds and their hearts are changed. Look at verse 9. Here's what it declares. For as yet, they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. And after they viewed the gravesite, they believed. What happened? What's the dynamic? What's the power here? Up until this point, the Old Testament scriptures concerning Christ and his victory over death, and all that the Father was doing is a mystery to them. They are, as the New Testament said, reading the scriptures with a veil over their eyes. But the Holy Spirit is about to take that veil away. They are about to see, as they gaze at the grave cloths, Jesus in a new, powerful way. And it's the first time that they see him as Lord of life. They begin thinking to themselves, I remember what the psalmist said. I remember what the psalmist said. He said, you will not leave my soul in Sheol. You will not allow your Holy One to see corruption. That's not about David the psalmist. That's about Jesus the Christ. I see it. I see it. In that moment's time, they come to this realization. The stone which the builders rejected is now the chief cornerstone. That's Christ. They hear the words of Isaiah the prophet. He shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. And by his knowledge, my righteous servant shall justify many. That's Christ. That's Christ. They hear the words of Moses the patriarch. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is him you shall listen to. That's the Lord Jesus. They saw Jesus. Now they're seeking Jesus. Now they understand. It's Jesus. He's the one who's tucked into the song. He's the object of the law. He is there among the writings of the prophets. He is the tabernacle. He is the high priest going into the Holy of Holies to offer the sacrifice once a year for the atonement of sin on behalf of the people. He is the great sacrifice. He is the Passover lamb. He is the one whose blood was shed and put on lintels in the doorpost. He is their covering. It all makes sense. And they began to seek the living Lord. 
Christian, who are you seeking this morning? Is it the Lord Jesus, the one of whom the scriptures proclaim? He will be born of a virgin. He will die a vicarious death for you. He will rise again for your justification. Is that who you're here seeking? I don't know. I'm just here because it feels right for an Easter. Christ is offering himself to you today in power. In life-giving power to change you, to change your heart, to give you a new perspective. So you, like Peter and John, see him differently. Not as a moral teacher, not as a good man, not as someone that you try to emulate. No, as the life-giving power of God himself, Jesus the Christ. That's who John and Peter are seeking. Peter and John have been given the gift of faith. Oh, but we must not forget about Mary. She's still in our story. Let's not forget about Mary. Because she comes back to the tomb after she's alerted these two disciples. She returns to the tomb with them. And what follows are some of the most tender verses in the whole of the New Testament. They move you when you read them. Look at verse 11 and following, if you would. They've come back. The disciples have seen. They have faith. They go back to their homes, but Mary doesn't go to her home. Look what verse 11 says. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. Some of the men here will not be moved by that. I promise you, every woman that reads that verse says, I know a friend like that. And they're moved by that emotion. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and she wept. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. And they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said, Again, they've taken away my Lord, and I don't know where they've laid him. What great love Mary had for Jesus. Do you have love for a friend like that? Some time ago, I was called to the hospital in an emergency, a man who was a member of our church, and, and he was there in great agony in the emergency room, unresponsive to anyone, just moaning. His heart was failing him. And I stood at the head of that gurney, that stretcher there, as they were working on him in great, great energy, and I just kept whispering in him, to his ear, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he dies... Yet he will live. He who believes in me while he lives will never die. Never. And one of our elders had come and he was outside and began to do the cardiopulmonary resuscitation and pressing on this man's chest trying to save him. I looked and this elder saw his friend and he burst into tears. Mary's weeping. How much she loved him. In the midst of her despondency, she continues in this quest for Jesus. It's so good that she never says, I'm looking for it, the body. I'm looking for him. I'm looking for him. Where have you put him? Just tell me. I have to have him. Friendship knows no bounds, not even in death. Why are you weeping? Where is he? Verse 14. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she didn't know it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, 
why are you weeping? Mark it. Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've laid him, and I'll take him away. (laughs) What is Mary going to do with these dead remains? How would she move it? Where would she take it? Would she wrap him up again in the linen? Her actions make no sense, but grief doesn't, does it? And we're overtaken by the loss of someone we love so very much. I remember a phone call like it was yesterday from a younger sibling. Our dad had passed due to a heart attack, and I thought, it can't be. It can't be. He was at the physician's last week. He was fine. All was well. And here, my mom found him, and she came from work that day at the hospital, He was with the Lord already. We drove up to the northeastern city and all the way up, even as a pastor, I thought, I don't know what I'll do. I don't know how I'll react. As they brought us in there and I saw his form in that coffin, I saw his face. And and in that moment, I wanted to deny what was true. I looked down and I saw his hands. My dad was a construction worker. He had these rough, gnarly hands. Many times as a boy, I can remember that coarse skin upon my supple skin. And I saw those hands and I said, no, no. That's him. That's him. What would Mary do just here? What, 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 what could she do? But in this grief, I understand. And then all of the loneliness that threatens to overcome her melts away. Woman, who are you seeking? And having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus. She thinks since the gar- him to be the gardener. Sir, if you've carried him away, just tell me. Just tell me. And I'll claim him. And then Jesus says to the, her these tender words, Mary. Mary. And she answers back in Aramaic. Not in Hebrew. Not in Greek. But in the word, the tongue, of the common person, that which he often spoke to her. Rabboni, Master. What a great comfort that should have been. Mary, whom are you seeking? And he calls her by name. Miriam, Miriam. And she thinks to herself, it's Jesus. Jesus is the one whom I'm seeking. Not the idea of a teacher, Not the teachings of a moral man. Jesus is whom I'm seeking. The living Christ, that's whom I want. On that glorious morning, Mary is finally satisfied, not with a memory, not even with a body, but of a presence. The real, living God. She comes looking for the dead, and now she has the living Savior. She came believing Jesus to be sufficient in life, but insufficient in death. And now she comes and sees he's both Lord and King over life and death. Mary, whom are you seeking? Mary came looking for a good and gracious man. Mary leaves with the Son of God himself. Mary comes doubting, but leaves believing that Jesus Christ is her Lord and King, and she will have him forevermore. Christian, 
Whom are you seeking? Let's pray together. Solideo Gloria, to God alone be the glory. Our Father and our great God, we thank you for this, your text preached over us. We pray that the Holy Spirit would seal it to us. Grant to us, O Father, even now, that this word would not be the words of men, but the Holy Spirit would burn up that which has been put forward that is anything of the flesh and would take that which is truthful and apply it to our hearts, that we might know Christ all the better, that we might love him all the stronger, and that your glory may be seen always and only. And we ask this for Jesus' sake and in his name. Amen. And now, in anticipation of all that God will do in and through you this week, receive God's good benediction over you. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and may the love of God the Father Almighty, and may the communion of the Holy Spirit rest upon you and dwell within you now and forevermore. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah.